recorded live in the Phantasmo Lounge high atop the Kubotan building in beautiful Midtown Portsmouth, Virginia. It's Phantasmo After Dark with your host, Rob Floyd, and co-host, Phyllis Floyd. Tonight's topic, the killer elite. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the old podcast here. And uh, hey, Phyllis. Hey, Rob. Hey, it's it's us again. It is indeed. Long time no see. Yeah. <laughs> We're uh, tonight going a little, kind of a little off track a little bit. Not a horror movie or sci-fi real genre type movie, but it is kind of it's a good movie though. Yeah, and it has uh, you know with my with my love for martial arts and martial arts films and and my love for spy stuff and spy stuff. This kind of you know it's not super spy stuff, but it was no, a little but it's a little intrigue and yeah. and backstabbing and you know and mm-hmm. government uh, corruption and cover up and stuff. Yeah, and has some martial arts in it. Does not really a martial arts film per se. No, but being that it came out in 1975, just well, Enter the Dragon came out in 75, so the martial arts was starting to build in in America. You know, the fascination with it and the boom. So, the, other than that, up until then, there wasn't really a lot to see. You know, unless you got lived in a town where you get imported Asian films at theaters, and you could see that. Before that, there was little bits and snippets in other other films, and well, the Green Hornet in the '60s had Cato, had Bruce Lee's Cato. That was pretty much about it. I can't remember when the Kung Fu TV show came out. That was like '71, '72, or '73, '75. Anyway, but this film I remember always seeing pictures of in martial arts magazines with James Caan fighting ninjas. Yes, I said James Caan fighting ninjas. Uh, it's not as goofy as it sounds, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so why don't you start with uh, who's in this? It's a pretty decent okay. cast. Well, yeah, it's a great cast. I mean, you've got James Caan, Robert Duvall, Burt Young, Bo Hopkins, Gig Young, Mako, uh, and then a handful of other Asian actors, uh, martial arts guys you've seen in other films, George Ki Chung, Takeoko Kubota, Dan Inosanto, a few other guys show up in there. And it's a good, oh, and directed by Sam Peckinpah. Right. Which I should have said from the get go. So right there, <laughs> right, huh? raises an eyebrow. Peck and Paul. <laughs> yeah, this is one of Peck and Paul's last few films. I think he did two, maybe three more after this. And you can, that's got some Peck and Paul feel to it. The slow motion uh, violence and the gu- slow motion gunfights and stuff mm-hmm. is is pretty cool. But when, like I said, when this one came out, martial arts was still kind of a new thing in cinema coming about. You know, so. It was uh, not as flamboyant and over the top as it became later in films. Right. And the the ninja that you do see in this towards the end, it's a little more realistic, I guess, fight-wise. They're not doing superheroic, you know, high-wire fighting stuff. This guy is jumping off of a ledge onto a guy or kicking and punching and, you know. Mm-hmm. And at the end, when they come out, they're uh, they're fighting on a big... Battleship, like a battleship in, in a grave in a ship graveyard. Mm-hmm. So their their ninja outfits are gray. Most to match, of them, yeah, most of them to match the back, except the leader guy because he's got to stand out. You know, mm-hmm. it is a movie after all. <laughs> <laughs> but they're gray to match the battleship, so that was kind of cool. Uh, as opposed to in like the later films, like American Ninja and Enter the Ninja, and all where they're all wearing all black, no matter mm-hmm. where they are. You know, if the broad daylight or they're in a the jungle, they're wearing all black or. Uh, or they're wearing white or red, whatever their color is, you know. But this was pretty cool, and um, it starts out basically the plot is Robert Duvall and James Conn are two assassins for hire that work for a 
a not a branch of the CIA. <laughs> so they say, more or less, <laughs> who works for a company that works does work for the CIA, something like that. Anyway, they disassociate themselves, but they yeah uh, yeah anyway. But it starts off right at the beginning. They're uh, they they're working a job and they go to the safe house to watch the guy and Duvall turns on James Conn, shoots him in the elbow and the leg and the mm-hmm. knee. But um, prior to that, you they they spend a few minutes showing you just how close those guys oh, are. Oh yeah, they set up their friendship. They really yeah, do, and, and they do a really good job of yeah. it really fast. You yeah. see just how close they are. Yeah, and they, I mean they're both two, such good actors. Yeah, you really get the feeling that they've known each other forever and a day. You know? Yeah. So having him betray him so early in the movie, you think just hearing that, you think, oh well, it doesn't really mean anything because yeah. you know, but oh, whatever, t- you get no time. It's a total surprise but, to the audience. Yeah. But you can tell how close they are, so it yeah. really does have an impact. You wouldn't think it would, but it does. Yeah. And and that's what Duvall says some to the effect. He he shoots him in the elbow, and then he says, you just retired. Mm-hmm. And he didn't kill him because they were friends. Right. But he, he got paid for a job. I mean, you know, it's yep. professional. Mm-hmm. That's what he was doing. So the rest, the next act of the film, pretty much, uh, well, this is still part of the first act, is James Caan recovering. He, it shows it has a surgery mm-hmm. and then recovering from it and yeah, rehabilitating rehab, yeah. himself and getting back into the swing of like learning, you know, relearning martial arts. Apparently he had trained before being an assassin and yeah. he, show, he goes back to the some of the guys he, that he had trained with and they're helping him learn how to use his cane and work with his uh, leg and his arm in this, these braces that he's in because his leg and, and arm are never going to be the same again. Right, because his elbow and his knee were pretty much just shattered. Yeah. Just blew it out completely. So, and this this whole scene before it actually gets to his assignment, which is the meat of the film, uh, is is pretty long. It is, and it really gives. I think it really gives you a feel of his trauma or despair mm-hmm. and what happened to him. You kind of because it goes on, so it doesn't really drag. No, that think. part wasn't real slow. That was okay. But it's it's longer than it would be in a film today. Yeah. Well, when you were telling me the the basic idea of this, I expected that to be like a montage. And it wasn't and at all. what it would be, yeah. yeah. But this really, it sets you in and little human moments of him, what happened, like when him falling in the restaurant and spilling the drink and, and uh, just little things like that and going up the steps mm-hmm. and slipping. And uh, and his reactions to it, though, is, is what sells it. They're amazing, yeah. yeah. James Caan is a much better actor than I think he ever gets credit for. Yeah, I agree. You know, and this is just little things. It's it's like he's not acting, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah, he's really natural. You're right. Yeah. But this whole long bit of him rehabilitating himself, you almost forget what movie you were watching, that yeah. it's about assassins, <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. Until it comes back to they call on him to do this job. And the job is basically a uh, courier Curry, a, a diplomat, a Japanese diplomat, make sure he stays alive to get to whatever the ship they're they're trying to get him to in two days to get him out of the country back to Japan. Yeah, they don't care what happens to him after he's out of the country. Just don't die in the country. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a double bonus because the other side has hired Robert Duvall to make sure that doesn't happen. George Hansen was his character's yeah. name. Yeah, so James Conn takes the job so he can get back at his buddy that that crippled him. And get back in the game. Right. And to prove that he can still do it. Yeah, because they've told him he'd never be back in, in the game. Yeah. So that's the the basic plot of the whole thing. And, you know, like I said, with Peck and Paul's direction, it, it's a good solid film. It's just, it's a, it's got some parts that are a little slow. Yeah. So it's not a typical, if you're used to today, spy action thriller. It's not a um, 
fast-paced martial arts movie. It's a good, solid story about this assassin and what happens to him and his friends and the corruption. And it's got some martial arts mixed in it. So you got to be really in the mood to watch this if you, yeah. you want to watch you it. You do. It's weird. I was trying to figure out, you know, what kind of example I could could say for you know when was it slow to me and i can't really give an example because the dialogue is good a lot of it it's all pretty well written yeah a lot of the witty stuff is really good there's some some witty banter that's very well done there's a little a couple of comedic moments but they're not played for laughs right no they were well done yeah the action is good when there's action. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, there's it's just a not lot made of like really good stuff. It's just like movies are stuff. made today. Well, no, with, and I, I don't expect it to be. Pay, and, and fast music and short attention span movie. It's not a short attention span of movie. Of course not, but I don't expect it to be. And yeah. nor do I get bored with movies who oh, are no, not but made a, a like that today. A lot of people today. today. Well, true. Typically, you know, do. Well, that, that might be true, but that doesn't yeah. necessarily make me feel like a movie is slow when it doesn't pace like today's movies yeah i don't give that comment yeah for a movie when it doesn't pace like today so i don't know why i felt that it was like that you know well, it because just, it just for moments there i don't know why but it, i would lose my attention span for just a little bit and i'm not sure why because yeah. i was really invested I mean, well it was 122 minutes long it was a long movie but i didn't feel bored at any point you no. know what i mean it didn't feel to me like it was dragging no. It was a little slow, but like I said, the dialogue kept it going and and the the a charisma of the actors in it. Yeah. Oh, did I mention Burt Young was I in it? I don't think you did. Let's mention the cast. Paulie from Rocky. He's always fun on screen. And the banter between him and James Conner, <laughs> you know, kept those scenes where it could have been slow yeah. flowing pretty good. Now, another little side bit on this is the one of the writers of this, Sterling Siliphant, who was uh, was a good friend of Bruce Lee's. Back okay. in the student of Bruce Lee's, and also co-wrote the Silent Flute with him. Hmm. He also <laughs> wrote a lot of other movies, and least the least of which is Over the Top. No, oh, no. <laughs> but he's a television film writer. The sixties, seventies, eighties, up through you know the nineties. Mm-hmm. But like I said, he wrote you know co-wrote the Silent Flute with Bruce Lee. Wrote this, a lot of other things. So he's a name that's associated with early martial arts mm-hmm. uh, in in the United States and all that. Uh, he wrote, I think he created Longstreet. I know he wrote the four episodes that Bruce Lee was on. Wow! Oh, so I still need to see those. Oh, those are good. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it goes. You know, so he kind of goes. His name is shows up in martial arts cinema throughout the sixties and seventies a lot. So with his name on. The, tacked onto this is like oh you know you're oh this might be something mm-hmm. and like I, I said earlier this is one of those films that I, i've seen pictures of before i actually saw it the first time i saw pictures of martial arts magazines and all the time it was kind of like a holy grail to see and it's like oh ninjas you know <laughs> <laughs> and when i finally uh did see it you know it was cool i enjoyed the hell out of it because it was different it doesn't have the ninja action that, that you expect you, that you expect yeah or you kind of want it's not a, a lot of it in there because it's not a ninja film no they're just part of the assassins that were hired to to do this yeah so and they, you really don't see a whole lot of ninja until no. the end yeah really because well, most of it takes place in broad daylight you yeah know, you know driving through the streets of san francisco and right stuff. right well and you know it's funny because a lot of the the ninja at the end don't even get to fight a lot of them are, are oh they get shot. gunned down yeah, yeah. <laughs> coming well like i said it's a little more realistic portrayal yeah, yeah. on this they're coming out and they're jumping out of the shadows or out from behind stuff and paulie and uh 
<laughs> Miller, Young and James Caan and and Bo Hopkins. Yeah, they're just they're gunning them down like you would, you yeah. know. And it's funny because they start they kind of start looking at each other, kind of laughing like, "Huh, we got them all," you know, because they're all laying there. And then more start coming out, yeah. You know? And then they have to fight because I guess you know they're out of bullets or whatever, or they get close close to them, yeah. And then you get some slow motion Sam Peckinpah stuff, you know, and it's not slow motion like slow motion's used today. That over dramatic slow mo or that camera spinning around, you get to see what's happening, and it's it's done well. And because and like I said, you've got these guys, Dan Osanto and Takeyoko Kubota, these real martial arts guys, you know, doing the fighting. And of course, you get Mako, you get to see him square off at the end with Kubota in a sword fight, which is pretty cool. And again, it's not over the top. It's not a Highlander, you know, or modern sword fight. It's a, well, it's not as realistic as a real sword fight would be either. It takes a little longer than it does, but. But it is a movie. But it is, it's a movie, but it's good, solid, nice little sword fight and shows Mako being a badass, you know. (laughs) Because he is. Oh, yeah. So when is the first time you saw this? The first time I saw this, I want to say was probably, probably in the late 80s. I got a copy on, uh, on VHS. Still living at my parents' house, you know. Well, I wasn't just still in high school, so of course I was. Or maybe it was right after I graduated, somewhere in there. I got a copy on VHS and finally got to sit down to watch it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. And I had that copy for a long time. And I just actually just got a, the DVD copy within the last couple of years. Oh. Found it used at a video store that was going out of business and was thrilled that I got it on DVD. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you found it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I'm glad you did. I was kind of wondering if you would, because I remember, I remembered a lot about it, mm-hmm. m- most of it, really. And I did remember that it had a couple slow spots. In mm-hmm. it. I did remember, though, how long that part at the beginning was with him rehabilitating. Mm-hmm. But I liked that bit. Yeah. You know, it needed to be there to really emphasize mm-hmm. what happened to him. Yeah. You know, I will admit there were a few moments in there where I, I did get confused. Like there was the one time when he was confronting George on the, the docks. Yeah. And he just started to walk away. Oh, yeah, puts his gun down and starts to walk away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He just starts to walk away. And I still don't quite understand why he was just walking away. I don't get that. I still don't get that. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that either, but it worked. <laughs> well, I know, but he didn't know what was he didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he was just doing that to take the power out of his hands, you know, out of Duvall's hands. Mm-hmm. Like you know, because Duvall offered him a slice of his pie if he'd come over to his side, right? Mm-hmm. Or he could just give up the the guy and just walk away or whatever, and. He's Instead like, of bowing to his wishes yeah, or, or like, whatever, he nope, just turned his back on him. Yeah. I mean, Duvall's got this girl held hostage with a gun to her head yeah. and he just like, I don't walks care what away. you do. I'm walking. Do away. whatever you want. Yeah. I'm walking away, which just seemed really weird to me. I don't know. I just I didn't I didn't quite yeah. understand what was happening there. But, you know, that's a minor little thing. It worked out. No, no, I know. But, but it was kind of it was kind of weird. Well, yeah. you know, there's always something when my brain goes weird. <laughs> I have to understand these things and I just don't. But that's OK. Yeah, it was it was weird to find out kind of at the end that the, well, at first to find out the one guy was corrupt, playing both sides kind of against the middle, or yeah. or not really playing him against the middle, just hedge, kind of hedging his bet, getting paid from both sides. Yeah. And then to find out that the head guy knew that mm-hmm. and was using Jimmy Khan to smoke that guy out, right. basically, and get rid of all that, the corru- that corruption from his company from that end. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that was kind of cool. It was. Because I don't, I didn't remember that from the first time oh, I saw it. So that was a surprise again. 
I do like there was that one bit at the airport where the CIA, well, not CIA, but the the company guys are talking about what happened at the airport this morning, mm-hmm. but we're seeing it as it's happening. As it's happening, but their uh, narration over it is like they're talking later, like it happened later, later in the day. Yeah, yeah. Well, what they're ta- them talking is happening later, but yeah. we're seeing it as it's happening. That was kind of a neat crossover bit there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is still available on DVD in a couple of different forms, the original, and it's on Blu-ray. So it is out there. You can see you can see the original film. It's easy easy to get on Amazon. And uh and the remake is also. So check that out, won't you? Did you tell me that you thought there was a remake of this? No, I haven't seen it. I'm there, just curious. Well, there was a movie that came out called The Killer Elite. I think it was with Jason Statham. Huh. A, just a few years ago. Uh I don't know if the plot if it was a remake of this or not. Okay. Uh, I yeah, I couldn't even bring myself to check it out because <laughs> I, I hate. You get worried. Well, I hate remakes. You know how I am about remakes, and especially with something like this that was just kind of kind of badass on its own, its own way. Yeah. And if they're gonna redo it, they're gonna do it over the top. Yeah. And it's gonna take away all the charm and and the I guess the gravity of the original. Mm-hmm. T- for me, it would. Yeah, it was with Jason Statham and uh, well, damn, Robert De Niro was in it. Huh. Do you want to see it now? No, not really. <laughs> so could you tell if the remake was actually a remake or was it just happening to use the same title like they do? You know what I mean? Uh, You know what? I like won't... Death Race 2000 did? Oh, Jesus. Don't get me started <laughs> on that piece of crap. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. The Death Race 2000, the original, was so much fun and such a kind of a, a product of its time. And that that's one thing that I... um. A lot of these films, when they do remakes that I can't stand, is because the original was such a product of the time that it came out, mm-hmm. that you can't remake it today and have it be any good, or have it have the same weight as the original, or be as fun as the original, unless you have somebody with the, that sensibility remaking it, you know? Right. But no, they have they remake it, somebody with today's sensibility, oh, we can do it faster and better and harder, and blah, blah, you know? And it ends up having nothing like the charm the original film had mm-hmm. and it will never have the following the original film has yeah you go 10 years from now nobody's gonna be watching the remake of death race 2 that has nobody's gonna care about it the original people are still gonna be loving that and watching it yeah well i mean that's even worse because they basically just took the name and put a whole different plot to it yeah no so i looked it up on the oracle here because mm-hmm. uh I, I did not know but the plot to the to the Jason Statham, Killer Elite, was 2011, by the way, is nothing even remotely similar. Oh. It's a rescue mission. Ah. Statham goes, and after his mentor, De Niro, is captured, he reassembles his former team of commandos and goes for a rescue mission on him. So So I wonder if they just happened to use the same name or if it was done on purpose. Yeah, I don't know. They could have picked any goddamn name for that movie, you know? Yeah. They didn't have I'm to pick curious. the Killer Elite. I mean, well, I know. On. I come, get it. I was just come curious. On. <laughs> well, um, you know, they put research into these things. I'm sure they knew. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, they, a lot of these things, they just draw on name recognition is what they're doing. Yeah, that's sad, though. You know? And it is sad. Because uh, the original film, I think it bears a watching again for anybody that likes, well, if you like James Caan, if you like Duvall, if you like... 70s action movies. If you have any interest in martial arts, it's, it's kind of a, a history lesson or a time capsule on martial arts movies. 
because there's there's a little bit of martial arts in it, but it came out at a time when, like I said, when there wasn't a lot of martial arts in movies. So this is one of those to get a fix, you know, right. <laughs> you had to check this out because I mean, geez, you know, Enter the Dragon came out in '75. This came out in '75, so I'm not sure which came out first. And then after Enter the Dragon hit, of course, there was a flood. The floodgate opened to martial arts films. Mm-hmm. Uh, up until this point, I mean, the only way you could really see. Like I said, any. I don't think you got a random chance on TV unless you lived in like New York or LA or somewhere which had cable channels or, or you get the odd weird channel that showed Asian action films. I think Tarantino was saying when he grew was growing up. Of course, that might have been in the more in the eighties. He saw Sonny Chiba films. There was an Asian channel, you know, mm-hmm. that he could see. So you might catch, you know, if Forty Second Street, all the Grindhouse films, you could see a Bruce Lee movie. You know, one of his the first couple of movies or Five Fingers of Death was one of the more notable ones that came out at that time. But Middle America, going to theater, there wasn't much there to offer in the way of that. Right. This is a little, I think it's a little departure, though, for, well, I can't really say that because I've not seen, I can't say I've seen everything Robert Duvall's done and I haven't seen everything James Caan's done. Yeah. But for what I'm, I guess the types of things I've seen them in used to, this is a little different, Hmm. you know, where they're both kind of just playing Kind of regular guys, but the job they do, they're assassins. You know? Right, right. It's not that, and also it's not the typical when you say they're assassins. You see movies with over the last 15, 20 years of they're assassins. You know, they're usually badass and, uh, you know, good at everything and super martial artists and, you know, good with every kind of weapon out there. And yeah. They're, and they're brooding and, these you are know, just kind of like guys. normal guys. Yeah, these are not. You know, these are regular guys who have skills, yeah, and know how to use them, and, and they work for the right company. Yeah, yeah, and they know strategy, and you know, know how to know what to do. Yeah, it's a little more realistic portrayal of it. At least we think. Oh, yeah, we think. I love that disclaimer <laughs> at the beginning. There. Oh, right, that was funny. Right, there's a disclaimer at the beginning of this that well, it has an interview with somebody on the screen, just the text. Yeah, uh, I forget who it was interviewing. The last thing is, uh, well, you know, does the CIA have a special branch to take care of things like this? Basically, it says like assassins. And the guy says, no. It says, would you tell us if it did? He said, no. <laughs> and then, and then there the was other a, thing after that. Yeah, uh, a little disclaimer from the producers or whatever. Yeah, from the producers says the CIA does not have a branch like this, blah, blah. If it did, yada, yada, yada. This is a tire work of fiction. Yeah. <laughs> He's like covering their asses. Yeah. Right and like the last sentence was something like, that would just be ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it was, was really great. funny. Yeah. I like the. Um, you have to see if you can find a screen capture of that oh, yeah. statement. Yeah, I'll definitely stick it put on the Facebook up. page. I'll put yeah. that up on the Facebook page. Because that was funny. Uh, oh, speaking of the Facebook page, you know, yes. be sure to check out the Phantasma After Dark Facebook page <laughs> and drop us a line on there. Uh, you know, anything you like that we've done or talked about or would like for us to talk about or comment on the pictures. I'll put up a bunch of pictures, like anything I can find on this, like I yeah. do with every movie. Uh, maybe even try to get the trailer up if I can find it. And a screen capture of that that quote, yeah. <laughs> if I can find it. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. That would be good. <laughs> and, you know, we also have uh, the Phantasmo After Dark email at uh, phantasmoad at gmail.com. That's phantasmoad, all one word, at gmail.com. Drop us a line. You know, we'll get back to you. Or don't. You know, whatever. <laughs> oh, you know, there was the scene after he got shot, I meant to mention earlier, when yeah. they take him in for surgery. That actually made me a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not normally squeamish, what, you know, because it looked like a it was looked like a real operating room. Yes. it didn't look like a movie operating room. No, it was, it was tight disturbing and compact, and the doctors and nurses. It all looked like it was 
somebody just had a camera over a nurse's shoulder yeah, in a real they operating are, room. They are going to town and getting business done. Yeah. And yeah, it was a little, little disturbing. I didn't want to yeah. watch that. Yeah, I didn't want to see the knee stuff, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> well, you had the surgery on your knee, that's so you, right. I would understand no, why. No, I was not a government assassin and I got shot in my <laughs> knee. I have to put that disclaimer so they won't come after me. <laughs> that would um, be ridiculous. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, I've been under the knife with my knee three times, so that yeah, that would make me uncomfortable. Uh, well, I haven't been under the knife with my knee, and I did not want yeah. to watch that. And, and like I said, I'm really not normally squeamish, but that one really did. Yeah. I didn't. But, you I know, turned my eyes all, away. They're all in there doing their job quick. Yeah. Because you have to, they have to be quick, and it's a bunch of them in there, and it's tight and it's close, and it's, but it's not shot, like in their face close no. like they shoot nowadays, right? You know, where the camera's close in your face, the yeah. camera's back, but you see that they're close and tight, and it's, you know, it wasn't super gory or gruesome or anything. No. I don't know why it bothered me so much. You saw I was a just like, oh, don't want to see it when they pulled the thing off his knee and yeah. they're washing it, trying to clean it before they start operating. You're like, oh, this is gonna be gruesome, yeah. and it's not. It's but not. It, it, feels like it's gonna yeah. be you know it was just disturbing to me yeah i like uh the other scenes too where he's going back to start retraining himself to learn martial arts mm-hmm. and he goes to that tai chi class that's out in that park mm-hmm. the one guy acknowledges him you know they know each other and he starts and then the sifu calls him up mm-hmm. front of the old asian guy mm-hmm. and you can tell the way they acknowledge him that he he's been his student for a long time he's known him and he starts working with him directly. He you know, hits the brace, checks the brace out. You know, yeah, like, what is this arm, thing? Like, What's going it, on? See what kind of motions he's got. James Conn's going, you know. And he's like, okay. And he's, he has, he takes his cane and hangs it over. His own arm. Yeah, the Sifu takes the cane and he's holding the cane. And then he starts working directly with, you know, James Conn while the other people are doing it. I'm like, that's, that's kind of cool. And then later on when he's working with his other buddy and a couple of the other students by the houseboat there, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and then of course in the dojo he talks about okay that brace that's good you know and shows him where to how to use it to hit with it mm-hmm. you know little snippets of things like yeah, that yeah yeah I, I really like that it's like, like you know lot. this you're not you're not crippled take this and make it an advantage and yeah. not a not a uh, deterrent or yeah, whatever exactly, yeah yeah exactly use not it deterrent to that's advantage. not the right word but yeah yeah use it to your advantage yeah you know, make it happen yeah that was really cool yeah it's really um unusual too because I you know when you think of Sam Peckinpah you think Western. Mm. Think the wild bunch, mm-hmm. you know, and I would not have off the top of my, if I didn't know, if you would have said, who directed this? I would have said, well, some scenes that look kind of like, you know, kind of Peckinpah-ish, like, you know, the guy really <laughs> likes Peckinpah's work. I wouldn't have thought, oh, Sam Peckinpah did direct this, mm-hmm. but it does have some of his touches in it. Yeah. Definitely. Right. So if you are a fan of his, you know, this is when you You'll recognize it, yeah. Now, speaking of ninja films, which is, this has some ninja stuff in it. The Ninja Grays really didn't break in the U.S. until Enter the Ninja came out in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Now, before that, though, one of the bigger films that had a lot of ninja stuff in it was The Octagon, the Chuck Norris right. movie, which I haven't seen in a long time. We should watch that again. But that had a lot of ninja stuff in it. Uh, which is the one that had all the, the different colored... Oh, that was one of the American uh, ninja movies. Enter the Ninja had... They were all in black, and Frank and was in white. His ninja costume was in white because he was a good guy. The so he had to be guy. in white. Yeah. Which was ridiculous because unless he was in the snow. I mean. <laughs> right. I don't know why. Every time I think of ninja now, ever since I saw whatever that movie was, I see all these strange colored ninja suits. There, there was orange and red. Oh, and yeah. Like bright. It was crazy. All the crazy colors. Anyway, it, it has was, nothing to do with this. It was this. one of those American ninja movies. It was insane. Dudikoff. But up until you know this point before the explosion, mm-hmm. you had Killer Elite, 
I'm probably missing some. I'm sure there's something else in there. But the other big one, like I said, was the Octagon, the Chuck Norris movie, because there was a lot of ninja stuff in that. And then Ko, or Kyo, the guy with the metal and the red thing and the sigh and stuff, the mm-hmm. leader. Right. And then, you know, nothing. And then Enter the Ninja came out. Mm-hmm. And that did moderately okay, but it, it really, the interest in ninja stuff kind of took off. Mm-hmm. And then Revenge of the Ninja came out. And of course, then the Ninja Turtle comics came out. And then Frank Miller put Ninja in the Daredevil books. You know, they were all over that. And they were just, boom, exploded all over the place. And then we got Ninja Stars. Yeah, Ninja Stars. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got Lee Van Cleef as the master on TV. Ooh, that show. <laughs> uh, but, you know, all of that, like I said, the... I want to say the Octagon, the stuff was a little more realistic-based and less fantastic. When we got to Enter the Ninja, then we got the Magic Ninja stuff. And after that, it just got more and more and more outrageous and fantastic. Somewhere in between there, after the big ninja boom, around 1983, a movie came out as a TV movie called The Last Ninja, which was actually kind of a pilot for a show, which it didn't take off to be a show. This is probably one of the most realistic portrayals of ninjutsu on film, American film anyway. He doesn't do spectacular martial arts. He doesn't fly through the air, does you know, and all this, and use tons and tons of weapons and you know, spect- you know, weird, fantastic weapons. It's a lot of subterfuge, a lot of disguise, a lot of stuff in the shadows work. And believe it or not, it stars Michael Beck, okay, from the Warriors and Xanadu as the last ninja, Mako. His family find an orphan baby left on their doorstep. Mm-hmm. And it's a blonde Caucasian baby. And they're farmers. I guess this is in the 50s, right when this happens. So one way or another, they end up, they keep the baby and raise it as their own. And he trains him. When his other two sons get killed in the Korean War, mm-hmm. he passes on the ninjutsu training to Michael Beck. Mm-hmm. This is one of those, another Holy Grail film that my mom actually saw okay. late night on TV and told me about it. I was like, holy crap. And this is before 83. So mm-hmm. VHS was around, but real obscure stuff wasn't readily available. And that had just come on TV. So it wasn't out for the longest time. Hmm. And I could never find it. Didn't know if it was ever on DVD or VHS. And I got it just recently. But that's one of the other, the few that has more, like I said, a little more realistic portrayal of what ninjutsu and stuff is uh, really about. We we'll have to watch that one then. Yeah. Heck, we may even do a podcast on that because it's, it's a pretty cool little movie. Neat. Um, again, not over the, over the top and has not a lot of martial arts action in it. But you can tell that it was a, a pilot to yeah. be a show. Mm-hmm. The way the the way it goes on and then the way it ends, it kind of leads on to like, all right, well, we'll call you again if we need your help. You know, that kind of yeah. thing. Gotcha. <laughs> the one thing that kind of bothered me about this, this film, uh, The Killer Elite, though, with the ninja stuff, and of course this is me, is at the end when they have the swords, uh, the sword fighting, <laughs> The lead ninja guy comes out with a katana and not a ninja sword, a ninja toe, which the main difference is a katana is, of course, the samurai sword, which is the long curved, the long sword. A ninja toe, a ninja sword, is a shorter, probably two-thirds of size, and a straight blade. And, of course, it was shorter so they could maneuver it in the you know close range and not as cumbersome. And so I don't know why at the end they both didn't have ninja swords. And Mako's fighting with a straight blade sword, but it's long like the katana. It's not short like a ninja sword. So that's kind of weird. And I I swear a couple of the ninja though, you see them when they're jumping around and, and mm-hmm. coming out of the... They, I think they have the short ninja swords. So that was just kind of weird to me watching this. And I almost expected to see some throwing stars, but you didn't. Actually, you saw one. Did you? Yeah. 
I missed it. Never gets thrown though. Oh, <laughs> that's why I missed it. When the girl, when they're held up on that dock, yeah, waiting for Duvall and all. When the girl goes out in her black night outfit, uh-huh. you see her walking up the steps and she pulls one out and it holds it against her oh. outfit. You see it like that. Oh, she just has it in her hand. Yeah, before Duvall surprises her and puts the gun to her skull, you know. Mm. But you know, today. Or in, especially in the, you know, the 80s that with the Ninja Craze, stars would be flying. Everywhere. Right. <laughs> Which is cool because, you know, who doesn't like to see, you know, throw well, stars? yeah. And this is, um once again, not a spectacular film. It's a good film and I enjoyed it. You know, and I recommend anybody, you like this type of stuff, watch it. But definitely don't watch it if you're tired or sleepy. It's, <laughs> it's not action packed. There's no, you know, there's not explosions going off. It's not going to keep you going. If you want to get into a good solid story with some little bit of action, some political intrigue, some corruption, and some good solid act- actors in it, sit down and watch it. Uh, and also, like I said, the history of, of martial arts in American cinema, this kind of has an important little spot within that. And for that reason alone, it's worth watching, If you're, if, especially if you're into martial arts films. I don't know if I really have too much else to say about this one. This isn't going to be a long one here. No, I think that's about it. Yeah. It's just one of those films I've, I've been wanting to rewatch again for a long time mm-hmm. and just never got a chance to. And I uh, figured, you know, well, we might as well talk about it, too, if we're going to watch it. Might as well. I'm glad we did. Yeah, it's not one of those that you hear people talking about a lot. Yes. And that's a good enough reason to talk about it, I think. Indeed. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, Rob... How does... Uh... Oh, okay. Yeah, we got to do the... <laughs> Let me just explain this. Okay, to explain away. Anybody who hasn't heard this before, we play this little game at the end of each episode, and it's called The World Revolves Around Planet of the Apes. And it's true. My uh, buddy Clayton and I discovered a long time ago that we can connect anything back to Planet of the Apes. Much like the, the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, well, we were doing this with Planet of the Apes before people started doing that with Kevin Bacon. So, And we can I can prove it. So Phyllis is going to give me something that has to do with the Killer Elite, and I will connect it back to Planet of the Apes in as few steps as possible. Well, this is probably very easy for you. So uh, how about, there's a lot of people in this. Let's just go with Mako. Mako? Yep. Jeez, he's been at everything. I know. That's why I said it's uh, probably easy for you. <laughs> Would you like me to give you somebody harder? Well, it's, it's, I mean, you want to get real simple? I could go simple. I could say Mako was in this, written by Sterling Siliphant, who wrote The Silent Flute, and Roddy McDowell was in The Silent Flute, playing the apes. Well, that's too simple. <laughs> you want to give me another one? I can go a little bit longer. Okay, fine. How about, mm-hmm. how about Bo Hopkins then? Bo Hopkins. Okay. I know Bo Hopkins. I met you Roddy don't McDowell. Count. <laughs> You can't use yourself. <laughs> okay. Okay. I can't use myself. No. Okay. Bo Hopkins to, let's see. <laughs> Bo Hopkins to tentacles. <laughs> oh, Lord. Besides Henry Fonda, who else was in that? Um, You're asking the wrong person. I am not the one with all the useless trivia in my brain. That's you. Oh, that's, oh, well, God, this is so simple. Okay. Bo Hopkins to Tentacles. Okay. John Houston was in Tentacles. John Houston was a lawgiver in Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Ah. The beginning. Well, see, it's still really easy then. <laughs> I told you as few steps as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you have proven it once again. The world revolves around Planet of the Apes. Yes, Good it job. does. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's about it. You got anything else? Nope, that's about it. Unless you are going to be in Norfolk, Virginia 
on Friday, this coming Friday, which is July 20th, 2018, I'm hosting uh, the Flick It Fridays event. We're showing the original Batman with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson at the Narrow Expanded Cinema on Collie Avenue in the Ghent section of Norfolk. Come check that out. And our next Phantasmo Cult Cinema Explosion is in second Saturday in August, and we're showing Vanishing Point. Yes. So and that's free, so go ahead and see that. I think that's about all that's coming up. I think so. Uh, so until next time, thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night.